0: We are supported by NFA Nutrition. NFA Nutrition stands for Nutrition for Athletes. But most importantly, they truly believe in providing safe and quality supplements for everyone who want to improve their health and level of fitness. With everything happening in the world right now, rest assured, they take great measures to ensure your safety. Their full lineup of products are Health Canada approved and they make sure no banned substance are present nowhere in their products. You know, when Michelle and I decided to partner up with them on our podcast, it's mainly because we share the same values of giving everybody a chance to stay healthy. NFA Nutrition also sponsor young athletes from speed skating to gymnasts so they can focus on their sport while NFA takes care of fueling their inner athlete. Don't forget the best part, all of their flavors are super yummy. Use our promo code to get 20% off on your next order, Mile 20, M-I-L-E 20, and head over to their website to learn more at NFANutrition.com. Michelle, Michelle, Michelle. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. Michelle, I see that you have a NAS, uh, a NAS. <laughs> wow. A nice glass of wine in your left hand.
1: Uh, yes, yes, I do. How did you know?
0: <laughs> well, I just saw you take after a five. sip. Uh-huh.
1: It is after five.
0: It is after five, but it's also uh the announcement of the CrossFit Open, the first workout tonight. So let me tell you, with your glass of wine in your left hand, how is your Open prep going?
1: Um. So funny story. I hadn't planned on signing up uh, for the Open. Um, I was looking forward to it, but I. I mean, I haven't done any CrossFit in like a almost a year. Um. So for multi for very different reasons you know gym closures have caused a lot of stress and I kind of live far from my gym so I wasn't making my way up there and signing up for an Ironman I've kind of been
0: cardioing
1: cardioing doing lots of cardio and um you we laugh but biking like my quads are back to to the size of like when I was competing maybe not as big but pretty big but
0: I didn't hear no one laughing, including me.
1: <laughs> so um, my open prep is limited to nothing. And I'm not going to lie. I'm quite nervous about the doms. Um, that's going. I'm doing the body weight because at home I have nothing. I have no equipment. So. Same here. Yeah. So I'm going to do the body weight. You're going to do the body weight with me?
0: I'm going to do the body weight with you. And since we're both over 35 now, Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to do the bodyweight masters edition at home and I'm pretty excited. It's actually the first time I'm signing up since I stopped competing in 2016 um, which gets me excited. I decided for multiple reasons not to compete. I still did every single workout uh, of every year. Uh, They hurt a lot and it was also a lot of fun uh, through the years. I have memory I think from each and every year including also I think was it in 2018 I think so it was the first ever workout that I did with actually Max and Fred your boyfriend we never ever even though when we own Deca CrossFit together we never had the chance to do an open workout together at the same time Mm -hmm. so this is one of my
1: when there's no pressure it's more it's uh not more enjoyable, but it's like it's it's like we make I I find we make better use of our time when we're not um registered in the open for like competitive and performance reasons. I mean, I did all the open workouts too. Um in fact, I don't have good memory though. So I went online to sign up today and um I saw that in 2020 I did I did the open and I don't remember. I don't remember. Doing you don't
0: remember it. the open in 2020?
1: No, I don't remember doing it. I don't remember doing it. And, and it's so weird because I, I feel like I would remember, but I have no recollection of doing the open workouts. I don't know.
0: I think the first workout was that infamous rower and wall ball workout, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was that it? I don't anyway. know. Anyway. And he, I, I just I just said that I had memory from every single open, but I think we we have this confusion because I think 2020 had no, not even 2020
1: 2020 oh, is a because year 2020
0: 2020 lasts at least 15 years in yeah. our minds because of the pandemic. Yeah. It was right. No. We didn't have an open in 2020. That is why. Yeah. Really? That is why. Yeah. Okay. I signed
1: up and I looked at my stats and it says 2020. I was like 1000 something in the world. And
0: But wasn't that 2019? Because 2020, it's almost impossible. The gyms were closed.
1: Yeah, but it was the 2020 open.
0: Which was at, yeah, but which was at uh, fall
1: 2019. Yeah. So yeah, it was a long time ago. Honestly, this pandemic is a year like, Twenty twenty is a year that our body's like forcefully forgetting. You know, like when when women give birth, they kind of forget about the pain and it makes it easier to have a second one. And I think this is what's going on right now. <laughs> we're forgetting we're willing willfully forgetting 2020. And yeah, it's
0: crazy. And speaking of which, we're now March eleventh, which yeah. is a Thursday, and in two days, it's gonna be the one year anniversary of this um confinement
1: Mm.
0: actually and
1: Montreal yeah
0: yeah the exact moment that i have to stand up in front of 400 athletes that came from all over the world at the atlas games to compete and i told them sorry guys but this is not gonna happen so either enjoy Montreal while you still can or get back to to the airport and try to catch a flight while you still can
1: yeah because uh
0: this is this is a clock and and it was one of the best weekends i've had in years actually with our very special guest today armin hammer his wife uh brian friend was there and a lot of other people tommy marquez also that you know very well
1: yeah it was birthday two days ago i think
0: yeah happy birthday tommy
1: yeah um
0: so yeah we we had a great weekend i busted my ass off to show them around Montreal and the best places we had, the best brunches, the best breweries and all that stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah, right after that confinement and we know the rest is history.
1: Yep. The rest is definitely history and can't wait to rewrite it. Fuck. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Uh, by the way, just before we go on with this interview with Armin, um, did you know a lot about Armin before we had him on the podcast? We, we no. made this chat with him.
1: I did not know a lot about Armin. You know, so I'm very sensitive, and Armin is a personality that uh, came about within the CrossFit world, for me anyway, after major changes in the CrossFit game season. To me, it's, Armin is a personality that is of the new CrossFit competition. Like after 2016, or no, I want to say 18, when Uh, Greg Glassman kind of like, you know, just with with a wave of a hand, just kind of put all of our worlds upside down and decided to abolish regionals and all that stuff. Um, Armin is one of the first people that um, kind of popped up uh, post-regionals era as um, someone to uh, refer to for information. And so for a long time, I just I didn't want to believe it like anything that came out of Armin's mouth I was unsure of because before the resources for CrossFit information was CrossFit it was the CrossFit Games website and stuff like that so Armin's like I didn't know much about him but there was this feeling of like oh like um kind of like uh like on my part it was complete uh denial of change so I was very excited to sit down and actually talk to armin because i i had heard so much about him i listened to his videos i've heard him speak but i've never actually spoken with him so um i had not much not much knowledge going into it but um it was a great conversation
0: armin is a class act and um he turned into a very good friend of mine in such a little time I think that when we travel abroad and we make these events all together as being sanctionals or the games or whatever uh the friendships that we forge are uh stronger faster i'll yeah. say that so yeah.
1: traveling uh, definitely gets people close
0: absolutely and also the crossfit community makes the <laughs> makes this uh the, these friendships uh, uh easier to form anyway so uh, Michelle, it's always a pleasure to do this with you, and um, everyone enjoy our chat with Armin Hammer.
1: Okay, it's live.
0: I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Michelle, thanks for asking. <laughs> I, for the first time in my life, I don't want winter to end. I we have such a great winter. I'm having fun, and I'm kind of dreading spring, which is kind of an off season that you you don't get winter temperatures and the winter fun and you don't get the summer fun as well so spring sucks in montreal in my opinion uh and last spring i had kind of the chance to have armin with us here in montreal in one of the most uh heartbreaking turn of events that we could ever have which was the cancellation of the atlas games 12 hours before go time that was savage.
2: That was like oh, that was God. one of the hardest things that I've I've ever like witnessed somebody do. Watching a like Alexi like figure that out and like go through that entire process was uh, pretty heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. yeah. We had kind yeah, of that yeah. war room where we were all together in there and I saw Alexi that was trying to holding to hold everything in, not to break in tears. And I mean me taking the mic and telling 300 athletes sorry guys just try to go back home try to take a flight because we're canceling this thing it was uh but it was still one of the best weekends i had
2: (laughs) it was a great uh, weekend it was cool we had a we had a great time katie and i still talk about like you know going out to the circuit going out to eat like it was
0: it was a great time mimicking uh gsb's accent (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I am not impressed by your performance.
0: <laughs> Michelle, just so you know, just so you know, Michelle, Armin is fascinated by GSP's accent. And Oh my God,
1: he has such a thick accent. <laughs>
0: oh my God. Not like- all
1: Quebecers are like that, okay? <laughs> this is like when... This is like when Camille started competing in CrossFit and this is no offense to Camille, you know, but when Camille starts competing in CrossFit and everyone thinks that everybody from Montreal speaks like Camille. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: um, anyway. uh, but the, she, she yeah, has like her own is-
2: special like she has her own special accent like she refuses to use possessives or plurals <laughs> like it's just it's always it, it's, it's really fun to see her talk and see like her her instagram captions because you're like yeah she wrote that like no one else wrote that
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it you know when, and, and that's so endearing about camille like you know when she actually wrote the post which is quite often and then you know when she didn't but but yeah, like, anyway, even me, when I have when I write down on my Instagram, sometimes I have an autocorrect because my phone is like in English and in French and I read it back and I can hear an accent in when I read it, you know, anyway. But uh, I feel like we started this podcast and it's like as if people just walked into a room while people were already having a conversation and everyone must be like, what's going on right now?
0: Yeah, this is the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how we do it. Okay, so... Um, Thank you all for joining us, uh, folks. We have one of my good friends and also Canadian tuxedo brothers, Armin Hammer, with us today.
2: I wish I was wearing my jacket. Actually, I, I should be. I should have been representing my my jean jacket parka. Uh,
0: that that was so fun. Uh, you know what, um, Michelle? The first time I met Armin and Katie, his wife, I walk into the hotel at Fifty One Fifty in Ireland. I walk into the hotel and I have my, you know, this kind of jean jacket on me and Armin and Katie both have this the, the same jean jacket, never met them in my life. I knew who Armin was obviously, and they both look at me and we started, I don't know, just bonding over Canadian tuxedos and they were like, you're just copying us, man. I'm like, aren't you from fucking Texas? <laughs> uh, I'm from Canada, dude. You're not you're not going to bully me over Canadian tuxedos.
1: Hold on a second. I believe that Texans have also a right to wear jean jackets. Like that the true. difference is the difference is the weather. Like Texans jean jacket jackets and and boots and a hat and Canadians jeans jean jacket and like a plaid undershirt like they the have same the right person. to do so.
0: They absolutely yeah. have their right. But uh <laughs> it's still called a Canadian tuxedo.
2: I'm not going to take credit for that because that that was 100% Katie's thing. Like Katie uh, so Katie uh lived like she grew up in north in northern Washington state, like eastern northern Washington state just a, just like an hour or two away from the border uh, uh to BC basically. So she Maybe like Seattle uh, no, no, no. Like on the other side of Washington state. So she was okay. on like the desert side of Washington state. Um, and so like, for example, she's only a couple hour drive from Kelowna, okay. which is oh, really strange hilarious. that like she actually knows where that is and like no one else in the world knows where Kelowna is because like everybody
1: should know where Kelowna is it's one of the most beautiful places
2: it's like yeah it's it's like heaven (laughs) on earth it's like one of the most beautiful places anyway it's like she she like she knows the Canadian national anthem by heart like she grew up like going across (laughs) the border for like swim meets and stuff so when she knew that we were going to Montreal she was like we have to get like we have to get matching jean jacket parkas. There's a hundred percent, like there's zero percent <laughs> chance that you're going to stop me from doing this for us. And and like we do obnoxious things like that, like match, like we wear the same shoes or we wear the same clothes. So that was definitely oh, wow. a pleasant surprise to see Greg wearing the same exact jacket we were all wearing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and but sincerely, he was doing it sincerely
2: but yeah exactly he was doing it he was doing it because it was just what he had in his closet he was like yeah it's gonna be cold so i'm i'm going to grab this jacket
0: (laughs) uh oh you and katie are probably the funniest couple i know and i mean yeah it's just so funny to see you two uh on events and all that so i've been missing you guys uh over all of this uh covet thing and i can't wait for for the season to come back and for us to be able to travel again. So we can uh, have all of these memories uh, to rewrite some memories altogether again. But hey, we're here to do an interview and we're here to present to the world who Armin Hammer really is,
1: <laughs> which is. Uh,
0: so welcome on uh, the Walk the Mile podcast. We Michelle and I uh, decided this name uh, Michelle again. I, I I, suck at saying at uh, explaining all these things, but uh Michelle lives in a part of Montreal that's the Mile X, which is a pretty cool hip neighborhood. And also lots uh, of
1: people with jean jackets around here.
0: Yeah, there's nice. a lot of people with jean that's jackets. That's the marker about how cool
2: your neighborhood is.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um also, Walk a Mile is also a wink to uh, walking a mile in a man's shoes to understand their background, where they come from, uh, and all of that all that stuff. And also, a mile is such an important benchmark in fitness and in CrossFit that we decided to blend it together. And also, you know, we're both bilingual. We speak French and English, not with GSP's accent. Um, yes. So that's where we are. And we're here today to, to walk a mile, Walk La Mile in Armin's shoes and see where you come from, where you're going, who you are, and uh have some fun.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure.
1: It, it really is because um I like doing this podcast so much because so a lot of people we know each other in our in the in the in specifically today in the CrossFit community and we know we're at and what we represent on a very surface level, right? Like uh, we know Greg from being a, uh, an MC at competitions. Armin, um, we know you from being a very popular blogger, YouTuber, pers- uh, TV personality for the CrossFit community. Um, people know me for being an athlete, but not a lot of people understand um, what we did to get where we are and and how very different those paths can look from what we think they might look so we really like that because i mean i come from an art background and now i'm a crossfit coach so it's a very it's, it's nice to understand people's trajectory and the decisions they made and um, our very first question for you armin is where are you from
2: so i'm from los angeles california i was born and raised in la i'm like one of the very few people that you'll meet is like an LA guy. A lot of Los Angeles is such a a city of transplants. Um, But I was born and raised in Los Angeles. So it's been, uh, it's been a weird, like six years or so since I moved away, like not weird in a bad sense, but like weird in that, like my entire family all basically live within five minutes of each other in Glendale, California, which is like a suburb of LA. And uh, I'm like the black sheep, like Katie and I are the black sheep. like her sister lives half an hour away from her parents. And like my family all lives right next to each other. So we're the, we're the kind of like the black sheep of the family living in Texas.
1: Wow. Okay. And, and you said that Kate is from North, Northwestern U S but like Northeast of Washington state.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: I don't meet a lot of people from there. Yeah. It must be such a nice place.
2: It it is it is it's really interesting because uh, so I, I guess the closest big city to her is Spokane. So she grew up like an hour or so north of Spokane, and um, it is it it is like the idyllic little town experience that she had growing up. You know, there's maybe four or 5,000 people that lived in her city, in her town. It was like, you know, one high school, one junior high, one middle school, they all knew each other. She's still very, very close friends with all her friends that she had in that age group. And so when we met, we met in LA, she had moved there after college. And it was for her like this really big experience because there's, I don't think there's literally anything that could be more different than where she grew up yeah. versus Los Angeles. So it, it is uh it, it is interesting. Like we come from such different backgrounds, Katie and I. And um we just ended up finding each other. It was really that's interesting.
1: Really, that's really cool. I always I have always I have a very close relationship with los angeles like i love los angeles but it. it, i mean my experience with la is mainly the games and even that like i've never actually been to the city of los angeles i've been around la but i've always felt like la breeds really cool people
2: like i I think it could yeah yeah
1: (laughs) tell me about la it
2: could (laughs) could. yeah la is an interesting place um the the city when people say LA, they probably are actually talking about a much larger place than just the city of Los Angeles. Because Southern
0: it, California. They're talking about, yeah,
2: they're talking about a huge portion of Southern California. Basically, most of the time, they're talking about anything in Southern California that's not San Diego. But LA is, you know, a big sprawl. You can basically start at the ocean and not leave any sort of major city for hours of driving. like You just will never get outside of a city. It's always a city or a suburb or another downtown or another community or something. And that's to me what LA really is. It's like this big collection of these various communities and cities ranging anywhere from 30 to 50,000 people in the population to 300, 350,000 people in the population to LA proper, which has millions of people in in its population. And it has such a melting pot and such a variety of different people. Like I'm Armenian. My parents were born and raised in Iran, but culturally we're Armenian. And when they came into the States, they originally settled in Oklahoma, Oklahoma which is really weird. I know it doesn't make any sense, Um, but it's it's one of the things like, do we know anyone anywhere? Well, there's another Armenian Persian guy in Oklahoma city. So let's all go there. And that's basically how that started. And then the same question was asked, do we know anyone anywhere else? And then they moved to Southern California. And so the city that I was raised in Glendale, California is actually the largest population of Armenians outside of the capital of Armenia. So wow, wow. it's it's a really interesting place because you can have in terms of cultural experiences in LA you can have essentially anything you want. You can go to, you know, the the most authentic Korean restaurants. You can go to museums that are very specific types of art to various types of cultures. You can visit the beach, you can visit West LA, you can see, you know, like Hollywood. All these different cultures come there. And the city itself has so much—it um, has so much value because of that. But the other side of it is that, like Hollywood, is a big driver of what happens in, uh, especially in certain parts of LA. Mm-hmm. And so it—it it can be very off-putting sometimes. It can be a little fake. It can be a little like everything's basically a facade. And uh, at a certain point, you just kind of have to accept that most people are kind of faking it till they make it. And uh, and most of those people won't ever make it. So it's like a very, mm. it can be a very cutthroat and strange experience to live in LA, I think.
0: It's a, I like the way you describe it cause it's so true. Like you see, I feel like LA can be the best and the worst of the United States. And I mean, there's some of the best memories of all my life so far. I've been made in, uh, I mean, Orange County and Los Angeles, Orange County. Cause one of my best friends, Brendan Schipati, lives there, uh, owns a gym there and everything. And also Los Angeles for the games itself. So memories in Carson in uh, Manhattan beach uh, and all of these little communities that you see when you visit, uh, you know, uh, CrossFit gyms and everything all around, but yeah, the the feeling I had when I visited uh, Hollywood for the first time and downtown LA, and you're like, whop, whop, right? <laughs> it's much dirtier than you've seen the movies. It's, uh, you know, so I the vibe there is very very different from what is projected and what, what we mm. think is the, I'll say Californication. So, uh, yeah, it's a weird city. I still, I I think I still like it, but I couldn't say, you know, you're like, I I don't know, San Francisco, everyone's like, Oh, San Francisco is amazing. But LA you're like, what part of LA? Yeah,
2: it it is. So it is so different in various parts of LA that like, you know, I, I would agree with you, I don't know if I could say that I really love the city. You know, it, the city is incredibly important to me and there are parts of it that I think are, you know, some of the best that the state has to offer in terms of communities and cultural experiences and just places to be and things to see and do. But there are also parts of it that are just like so run down and so um, gross, for lack of a better word. And, yeah. you know, you, I think it's easy to get caught up in... um what LA is sort of what it's it's done a very good job of portraying itself as and the expectations can be you know the the reality won't necessarily meet the expectations if you're coming from the outside
1: Mm -hmm. so Armin tell us a little bit more about your like your background and your upbringing you said that you're Armenian culturally tell us a little bit about your life like from when you were young until today in a in a relatively short period of time.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the the best Cliff Notes version that I can for sure. Um, you know, so I am I'm one of three brothers. Uh, my two brothers who are older than me are both a, a, a bit older than me. I won't say like significantly because it's not like a twenty year difference. But my oldest brother is eight years older than me. And we have a brother between us who's six years older than me. So they kind of grew up together and I was like the add-on and you know, my, my parents are very adamant that I was not an accident that they knew exactly what they were doing, that they were, they, they planned to have me, they were kind of gonna, going for their third and that, that was, it is what it is. Hoping for a girl, I think, to be honest with you, but <laughs> they got a boy and the, yeah, the, the childhood I had was was really nice. I mean, I I grew up in Glendale, California, which is one of the biggest suburbs. Um, it's the biggest suburb of Los Angeles. It's one of the biggest suburbs in the state, if not the nation. Um, and I grew up in uh, you know middle class. I would say, like, my dad was an entrepreneur. Is an entrepreneur. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Like, I got a chance to to sort of grow up with my two older brothers both like ignoring me and picking on me and helping me like it was a very interesting dynamic that we had so by the time i entered you know middle school or high school like they had already graduated college like they were well into their collegiate oh my god uh, careers or like post college they're like starting to do their work right And it was really interesting to have that experience because I remember like as a high school student going and partying with my middle brother who was like in college and getting to meet like his, he was the RA of his dorm. So I was like meeting all the other like dorm people. But to me, as like a 14 year old walking in with like 20 year olds, I was like, this is really weird, but let's party, I guess. Let's do this. It's great. And so like, you know, I, I, I got introduced to a lot of really interesting things because of that, you know, like I, if
1: this, this story sounds like a movie, like it sounds like a movie scene it, it, Sorry, mean,
2: to be, to be, to be like, you know, maybe, maybe a little too honest, like some of my favorite, some of my favorite drinks through college weren't necessarily things that I like really loved. It was just kind of like, Oh, like the first few times I partied with my brother and his friends as like a teenager. And he was in college with like his buddies. Like we did nothing but basically drink tequila and Guinness. So it was like, I did nothing. Like if I was, if I was drinking in college, I was drinking tequila or Guinness. It was like, well, this is what people do. This is, this is it. Right. Uh, so it was, it was a really, it was a really interesting way to get like introduced to that environment. But at the same time, like, you know, I got introduced to like their interests as well. Cause like I was a kid and I looked up to my older brothers. So like the music that they listened to the hobbies that they developed, I also got into those things. So in a weird way, like I was raised almost like by my parents and my brothers in like very interesting uh, reflections of all of their personalities and obviously that makes me the best in my family no doubt about it uh, and it was it was really cool you know i i we all went to the same high school so we all we all graduated from the same high school went to the same high school at various times so you know going into high school it's like oh you're you're Z's younger brother or you're Narg, you're like you're little Z you're little Narg whatever and so you know that was really interesting to be sort of like known by so much of those teachers and the staff and um you know graduating high school i ended up going to a few different universities like i was i was that kid who uh who did like really well in school without necessarily trying particularly hard and the other side of that is i was also that kid who got admitted to his first choice university and then had that admittance like rescinded because of like a, a, a grade problem, like a failed class in my senior year. Cause like by the time I got to high school, like senior year of high school, I was like, this isn't difficult or interesting. So I wouldn't take, I would just like not really participate in school and it was fine. It was good enough, but a clerical error failed me in my uh, calculus class in senior year of high school. and I ended up not being able to go to the university I wanted to go to. So I actually ended up attending three different colleges before graduating finally from UC Irvine with a wow. degree that has nothing to do with anything. I studied cognitive science and philosophy. So like- Wow, that's really
1: interesting.
2: I was I was poised, like, you know, the, the point at which I started my affiliate with my brother. So we had, again, my older brother comes into this, right? My oldest brother, Z had started doing CrossFit and introduced it to me while I was in college. I was 19. And I was super bored with school and I'd found it and CrossFit like completely like just clicked with me and immediately took hold of my brain. And so I tried to learn as much as I could about it. I joined a whole bunch of different gyms, which at that point was like impossible because it was 2008, 2009, like there were no gyms. So I was I was going to a bunch of different gyms and trying to learn from as many people as I could, and by the time I graduated college, I've been doing CrossFit for two two and a half years, something like that, and I was on my way to go to grad school. So I was I was planning on being a teacher uh, in philosophy. So I was planning on getting my doctorate and then joining the staff at some university to be a philosophy teacher because you know to like a a to the young Armin who has like, you know, angst or whatever, it was just so cool to be a guy who would think all the time, just like not do anything, but think it was like, yeah, man, I'm going to work out and I'm going to think about things. And like, that was so interesting to me. And like, Oh my God, it hasn't really changed. I mean, let's be honest. This is what I do. I, I, I think, and I work out like those are the things that I do.
0: Now that you're saying that, it explains a lot about your personality and everything I see that content that you're putting out and your analysis about the games and about <laughs> the next moves of CrossFit LLC and the community and all that. So I'm like, when when did he find the time to think about all of
1: this? And now yeah.
0: I know that it's completely out of your background.
2: It's just how I approach anything that I'm really interested in. I, I try and do I, I think about it the exact same way I think about CrossFit, like the same way I thought about philosophy, the same way I think about CrossFit, the same way I think about just about anything I get really interested in. I get super deep into it. I try and master the basics as quickly as I possibly can. And then if it still has interest to me, like I'll do it for the rest of my life. And if it doesn't, great. At least I have another thing that I'm, I am I'm aware of and knowledgeable of to a certain extent.
0: I love it. Yeah, I, and so, I, I love I love the color that you're bringing to the community uh, with, with your, you know, philosophical um, analysis and all that stuff. And it, it's funny to see that backgrounds are moving into CrossFit with the two more most important medias, if I may you and I'll say morning chalk up that comes from a, a very, you know, w- when you know Justin's background. Uh, of politics and and you read their newsletter every day, you see that it's, you know, very methodical, very professional written and all that stuff. So um, it's very interesting that both worlds are clashing and making um, a, a big portion of what covers CrossFit as media.
2: Yeah, uh, I I agree. I love Justin. I love what he's doing at the morning shock up, and it's like very yeah. very different from what I do. So like of a lot course. of times people are like, "Are you guys competitors?" I'm like, "No, man. Like he stays at my house when he when he's in Austin. Like we hang out all the time. We're talking like basically every day. Like we're not competitors. Like we're doing different things." But Fratello either way, Franco. Yeah, exactly. Lo <laughs> Franco, J Lo. You can call him J Lo.
0: J Lo or Fratello. <laughs>
2: Uh, so yeah, I, I was planning on going to grad school. Like I had gotten all my papers written. I had gotten my applications, uh, uh completed. I had taken my GREs. I'd taken all my testing and, uh, my brother, my oldest brother who had introduced me to CrossFit was like kind of tired of his job at the time. He was like, this just, isn't it. It was like a, it was more of like a corporate job. Um, and he was like, I want to start a gym. I was like, forget all that stuff. Let's go work out. Like, Let's go start a gym. And so that's what we ended up doing. We ended up opening our, our affiliate in 2011, uh, a few months after I graduated. And um, uh, it was pretty wild. Like, We spent four or five years uh, doing the affiliate thing. It had its ups and downs. It was on the whole, a very positive experience. Um, I'm not sure I would do it again. I'm not sure it's like my jam to do that again. I think i can kind of apply myself in different ways that it's more uh suited to like my strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. but i learned a lot from being uh you know owning an affiliate managing an affiliate i learned a lot from that and i would not trade it for anything because like the friends that i made out of our our members and the people who were there like i was a kid you know 2011 i was 22. we opened our door we opened our doors and i was still 21 like wow. I was a 21 year old who with his older brother had opened a gym. My brother was just having his first baby like due a few months after we opened and it was a really transformative time for like both of us. But I remember thinking like I've got this. Like I can 100% handle this, which is like both ego and maybe like some earned confidence, but like not a lot mm-hmm. of earned confidence. And The fact that a lot of those members, you know, they watched me grow up. They helped me grow up. You know, they they took they took a chance on a kid, like literally a child, to teach them all these things. And I think I I think I delivered. Like I'd like to say that I'm I'm pretty happy about how I delivered that that process to people. But um, it must have been so weird for somebody who's like an established professional in their 30s to walk into a gym and like some snot nosed 21 year old is like yeah, man, you're doing your pushups wrong your entire life. You got to learn this, this pushup thing, full range of motion, dummy. It was like,
1: uh, what?
2: (laughs) Yeah. so Oh my God. It
1: was really, you know, rep people.
2: Oh yeah. That's really
1: obnoxious. Yeah. I was old school. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) remember when coaching involved no repping people. I was like,
1: (laughs) that
2: that did, to be fair, that did go away very quickly because it was not (laughs) a good idea. It was not a good idea, but uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Owning affiliate was super great. And along that, like during that time is when I started really like making content in the space. I started a blog. I started a podcast that led me to Austin, Texas. Like I got In 2015, I got a job out here working for a company called Flow Sports. I ran their website, Flow Elite, which was streaming um, like broadcasting events as well as doing long form and journalistic coverage of the space, but not just CrossFit. They did weightlifting and strongman and powerlifting, all this different stuff. And that's what brought me to Austin. And then a few years later, they downsized the company a bunch. And I was part of that downsizing and i've been in austin uh since then and doing my own thing on the youtube it's been it's been wild i mean like that's that's probably as condensed of a trip from from then till now as i could give i think right
0: i think you Really uh, interesting. Yeah, i i think you answered probably four or five questions that we had for you in that whole span of your <laughs> your What uh, would you
1: change with one of the questions? <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is it
0: like living, uh, M- Michelle? I'll go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. Go for it.
0: What is it like living in Austin, Texas? Because I mean, internationally, I don't think Texas itself has a very good reputation, and I, I, I don't like saying that because I, I know a lot of people from Texas which are all awesome, but I think Austin is very different from all the rest of the state just like probably Portland is very different from all of Oregon state. Um, what is it like Austin living there? Austin's a
1: great city. Austin's a great city. It's like I Montreal, agree. but in Texas.
0: Yeah,
2: I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually agree with that. I agree with Michelle on that one. It, uh, Austin is a wonderful place to live. Um, it is probably different. Like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say because... I don't know exactly what people think of when they think of Texas, but my assumption of what people think of when they think of Texas is cowboys, guns, yeehaw's all over the place, accent. Uh, an accent. Yeah. A Texan accent, like people wearing boots with spurs, not just boots, but like boots with spurs. <laughs> uh, and, and it is some of that. It is some of that for sure. But Austin is very different from the rest of Texas. Texas is a strange state to begin with. You know, one of the first things, one of the first things my old boss told me when he like recruited me and brought me to Austin was like, listen, man, anybody, anybody can be an American, but you got to be born a Texan. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like. <laughs> I, I, I and he, and he sort of like repeated it a bunch of times over the course of like the years that I worked with them. And I was like, wow, like, this is not, this is like an ethos. Like it, it is, it is a mindset. Like being a Texan is, is an incredibly important thing to Texans. And the more I've learned about it, the more I get it because Texas is a really nice place. Like it, it is a pretty nice place. Austin itself is very different from the rest of Texas, it's very different, especially from Houston and Dallas. Um, Houston is uh, way more industrial, I think, is a good way of describing it. It's right on the coast. It has a lot to do with the um, the energy uh, industry, uh, the, the gas and oil industry. Yep. Um, it's huge. It's one of the biggest populations in in the country. Uh, Dallas is very much like old money, uh, finance, finance. And that sort of deal, like maybe a little bit of tech here and there, but like mostly old money and finance type thing. And I'm sure somebody from Dallas is going to be like, how dare you say that about us, son? And I'm like, okay, man, whatever. I'm from California. Leave me alone. Austin is like, Austin is like young. It's, uh, it's vibrant. It's techie. It's super hipster. I mean, like super, super hipster, like it is almost obnoxiously hipster. Like I moved out the first, the first neighborhood I moved into, I was like, I can't live here anymore. Like I need to move to a different, I need to move to like more of a quiet suburbs part of Austin, as opposed to like this part of Austin, because every other person was like waxed mustache suspenders, their own beer company. I was like, get the hell out of my face with like your (laughs) triple hopped, bullshit but like, oh, sorry i don't know if i could say that but like you know get you out can, of my man. face with that i don't need that like you know i don't i don't want to have a unicycle i don't want to be commuting on a unicycle like you know leave me alone i want to just live somewhere with people who aren't up their own butts and that's the coffee kind of
0: scene. the coffee scene must be also very booming
2: yeah the coffee actually okay to be fair i actually dig the coffee scene a lot because i'm much more likely to to drink a coffee than I am to drink like some crappy IPA. So like going to, (laughs) going to like all the coffee shops, uh, Katie and I have made it a a real like regular thing for us to go try new coffee shops and like just sit around because one of the things Austin does really well is like, it has a really interesting food and uh, like entertainment scene in that sense because like the, Food trucks are a really big deal out here. There's just food trucks everywhere. So coffee shops will have these really wonderful patios because the weather tends to be like very nice for outdoor stuff most of the year. And they'll have these really nice patios. It will be like gravel and trees and like shaded and really beautiful. And there'll be like a, a taco truck right there that, like you know, everything's in Spanish. And the, you know, the people working in it don't really speak that well of English. And then you'll like Google it and find out it's like one of the best tacos in the nation. It's just a taco truck. Wow. And that's the only location it has. And that's the only way you can get it is like if you're at this coffee shop and there's a lot of really great little like discovery parts of that. The city is very outdoorsy. It's very dog friendly. Basically, everywhere you go, there are dogs. Um there's, there's sort of like these natural spaces inside the city they call green belts, which are um, generally unincorporated, undeveloped land owned by the city that has all these trails and creeks and rivers and waterfalls. So like in the weekends, you'll go and you might be driving down the highway and like, you'll just see a hundred cars parked on the side of the highway. And it makes no sense because the highway is basically like a road and there's no, there's like nothing around you. There's just trees. But there's like a little tiny trailhead that goes there and there's like a wading pool with like a rope swing into it that goes over a little waterfall, like wow. maybe 200 yards into the, the green belt. And that's just where you get in. It's like, it says no parking. There's a hundred cars parked and people just <laughs> go and spend their weekends exploring those spaces. So like Austin's really interesting in that sense. And it also has the cultural aspect of it's a college town. So UT is like the heart of Austin and it's a very Uh, tech savvy city, you know, like Uber was started here, for example, and South by Southwest. Yeah. So Uber was originally actually started. If I remember correctly uh, at South by Southwest, they just put it together in like two weekends to try and get people like uh, some sort of easy way of transporting around South by Southwest, because it's like this giant conference that takes place all over the city. And you're going from like one hotel to another conference center to another hotel room to another convention center. And so they started it that way. And so there's been a lot of uh, music and tech and medical technology and various like startups that have just like gotten their heart here in Austin. And that's not even to talk about the music scene, which is, you know what Austin was known for before all the mm-hmm. tech came in. So it's it really is a vibrant and young um and explosive place. Like in the past couple months like everyone has moved here. Everyone has moved here. Elon Musk is moving to Texas, like Apple is having having like giant places built in te- in Austin. Amazon is having these giant headquarters built out here. Uh like you name it and all the companies are moving from the bay area in california like they're moving from silicon valley to austin and it's like all right wait wait until you go through one of the summers before you make a hard decision (laughs) here but it's
1: funny usually it's the opposite over here wait till you get through one of the winters until you decide to actually settle down
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can imagine i mean you know greg was saying we were there in spring last year and i was like i was freezing it was so cold
0: (laughs) i was like that's what sucks about spring. It's uh, it's so humid. Like you can you basically can't do anything. You can't go ski. You can't go snowboard. There's nothing. Plus, it was super rainy all weekend. It was, uh, I mean, weather. Mm. Can I say weatherly speaking? It was a shit show,
1: mm.
0: but it was so fun at the same
1: time. It sounds like Austin is. It sounds like Austin suits your personality in the sense that you like to think and Austin has a lot to think about. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, I want to know, amidst all this, like you're talking about your your background and how you navigated through things and you've done a lot of things. Um, Tell me, as a philosopher, someone who likes to think, we would expect someone to be more methodical and more... Um, thoughtful in their decisions. How do how do you navigate these changes in these decisions, or does it just kind of like you just go with the flow? That's part of your personality.
2: So th- I think that's a really good question. That's probably the worst version of like my philosophical, like over analytical mind is that I very much can get lost in the weeds in decision makings um, yeah. and. In, interestingly enough, the smaller the decision is, the more time I waste trying to make it. You know, I mm-hmm. I I can't even tell you the the like the thoughts that go through my head when I'm confronted by a menu that I'm not familiar with. Like, I see a menu and I'm like, okay, do I want to have? A vegetarian meal, or do I want to have a protein? If I want to have an animal protein, is it going to be a, a, a meat based protein, or is it going to be a fish based protein, or maybe a fowl based protein? And then I think about how all those different things like taste and feel to me. And then I, I look at like the different flavors, and I'm like, that's not exactly the vibe that, So it's like, it's a very like overthinking thing. And it's like, excuse me, sir, what do you want on your salad? Like, very simple questions <laughs> that I should be able to answer really easily. But you know, on the other side of things, one of the Most valuable things that I've gotten from Katie is that Katie's very spontaneous. Like she (laughs) almost, almost, she is almost to the point where it (laughs) makes me upset, does not plan things. And when she does make these big decisions, like, I'm going on a trip. Okay. Where are you staying? I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. Okay. What are you gonna do? I don't know. I'll figure it out when I figure out where I'm staying. okay, what how do you what money are you how are you gonna exchange money? She's like, I don't know. I, I have my wallet with me. like what's the worst that can happen? And it's like it it she's like traveled the world like that and that that would be so much stress and anxiety for me like I have to have a bare minimum of at least an understanding of how and why we ended up at the decision we ended up at. Like, why are we at this hotel? Why are we doing this thing? And that can be really unfun. Like she'll be the first one to tell you that I'm a huge like balloon popper. Like she'll be walking around with her, like her fun little idea and there's like a little kid with a balloon and I like walk by and be like, we shouldn't do that. And like just pop the balloon for her. And she's always really (laughs) upset about that sort of thing. But (laughs) I don't know why I don't get it. So, I, I I try to be, especially recently, especially with how crazy the last year has been, and what is for sure going to happen over the next year with all these different changes in in our lives, is I've actually tried to do the opposite, which is for really big life changing decisions, I try and make it on a on a whim decision. I try and just kind of like empty my head of that sort of analytical side of things given at least it's not like, do I want to jump out of an airplane without a parachute or do I want to go get lunch? Like, yeah, those are life-changing decisions. I'm not going to make one. I'm not going to make that on like a whim. You know what I mean? There's obviously a right answer there, but like based off of the decisions that we're making for the rest, like setting ourselves up for, you know, the the medium term of our lives, the next like three, five, eight, 10 years, it's like, all right. uh, The decision-making matrix looks something like this. Am I going to do something that's going to completely ruin the rest of my life, right? If if the chances of it ruining the rest of my life are like even remotely there, I won't do it. Like gotta, I've got to avoid ruin. That's like number one. Number two is like if there's a bunch of decisions and one of them is like a little easier now and maybe a little harder later and the other one is like harder now, potentially easier later, I'll do the one that's harder now. Like rip the bandaid off, take the tougher decision, suck it up, make it happen. If I'm looking at a set of decisions and it's like, okay, one of these could basically set me up for um, something I'm familiar with and that I can try and figure out, and that I've already sort of, I've already sort of become uh, proficient at. And another decision is something that's going to introduce me to something completely new and different and force me to adapt to it. I'll take the one that's going to force me to adapt. So generally like my big life decision-making process is like what's going to happen the fastest and make the biggest change while also not ruining my life at the same time. And so,
0: so that's funny how we saying up
2: that doing this stuff.
0: <laughs> it's so funny you're saying that. I feel like I'm... You going through the same process when I want to, I don't know, decide where to go snowboard or what kind of meal I'm going to have or whatever. And life-changing decisions are like, yep, cool. Let's do it. No problem. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I feel like, um, and I don't know, the, my my girlfriend also, it's funny you say that Katie brought that to you. Uh, more decision-making and be more spontaneous and all that stuff. I feel like my girlfriend also brings me that the same. She's super bubbly. Let's go. Let's do it. I know about you, Michelle, but me, um... I don't uh,
1: I, My girlfriend um, doesn't uh, exist. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs>
0: okay. Come on. Um,
1: Fred and I are both very the same, very the same. We are semi um We are semi organized. Like we know where to go. Traveling, for example, will know where to go. Um, we have both the same tastes in a lot of things, so that's not very difficult. Um, I'm a little bit more organized than he is, but I find it really interesting, Armin, that you have a matrix and a plan and you've thought about how to make decisions because on that front, I'm a little bit more visceral. I'm a little bit more, how do I feel? Am I up for a challenge? Um, in, is my mindset in the right place? And I kind of play between rationality and emotion, but it's very much yeah. on the spot and on the day and in the moment. So, whereas you're explaining to me, you have a matrix and, and you have a, a, um, a series of questions you ask yourself when you have these decisions to make. But I feel like where you are now. Can you tell me, like, what's the what's the title of where you are now?
2: What do you mean by that?
0: CEO like, of Hammer. What's your
2: job? Oh, my job? I don't know. Yeah. I would call it like content creator.
1: Okay, so you're a pretty confident content creator. You've come. You've confidently made your way to that. Um, and you yet you have like a like. You have a planned out way of making decisions, but it really feels like you have kind of found yourself where you are and, and things around you have guided you to that. And yes, there are decisions you made, but um, I wonder if, if it's really that process or if it's just the nature of accepting life as it comes.
2: That's that's a good observation, because you know the 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 process I just described is very much like a work in progress. Like I've picked it up from a bunch of different sources and it's something that I don't do all the time. Uh, and it's kind of like something I aspire to be able to to use in like big decision making. But with something like my career, which is it's really strange to think of my career not as like a big decision maker. But with something like my career, I knew, after i left flow what my general skill set was and i also knew what i liked to do and i also knew what people would enjoy or need to see and so those things just lined up and it was yeah. it wasn't necessarily easy but it was something that i was very uniquely suited to be able to do and because of that it's been something that i have like I mean, I'm not going to say like,, well, I've really excelled at it because it 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 hasn't been like a home run. it's been it's been rough. It's been difficult. It's had its moments. There's a lot of expenses involved in what I do, but it is something that I have done well and something that I'm proud of what I've been able to put out and what I've created and like where I've ended up, I guess
1: it's do so you- it's amazing because it looks so easy what you do, and I'm really curious about what those difficulties are. And and enlighten us because because we have this really bad idea of content creators being just naturally good at that and it being so easy. It just clicks. And I tried to create content and I suck at it. And it's just tell me what the difficulties are and tell me about your work because I'm really interested.
0: That's very that's very cool for a podcast, Michelle. Good job.
1: I'm like, how do these content creators do this? I mean, you're
2: doing it right now. You're doing a great job. This is, this is fantastic. You know, like Michelle has a
0: very, but but, you know, I've been, I've known Michelle for 10 years now and for everything she does, she says the same thing. It's like, I don't know. I don't think I'm very good at creating content. I don't think I'm very good at coaching athletes. I don't think I'm very good at programming.
1: I never said I wasn't good at coaching athletes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's, I'm being a little sarcastic there, but you you know, you know, you have this tendency to, you know, because you're, you're very, you hold yourself to high standards. So I I think that that, that's how you do it.
1: So So Armin, tell me about the difficulties you face.
2: (laughs) Well, okay. So you can look at it in terms of like internal and external challenges. Right. Uh, And I don't know which one's easier, but. Uh, I would say like the internal challenges are probably less real and that's a really weird way of saying it, but
1: I think I know what you mean.
2: It's it's one of the things like created in your head. Exactly. You're creating that in your head. So whenever anybody tells me about, Oh, I have this idea for a video or I have this idea for a YouTube channel. I 100% of the time, regardless of what I think of the idea, encourage them to pull it off. Just try to make it see what happens because there is a lot of like creativity that goes into making content but there's also a lot of technical skill and when you first start out your technical skill if you haven't had any real training is going to be garbage it's going to suck and that's going to slow down the process and muck it up a lot so you're not going to have this idea of it being a very fluid flowing creative process and that's going to take a little bit of time to overcome the lack of technical skills. But the creative side of things, the taste, the idea that I think this belongs, people would want this, that's something that you can develop as well, but it it feels fluid right from the get like you you think an idea and you're like wow that just came out of nowhere and that that'll happen a lot of times and other times it's like okay what am i going to talk about what's going to happen here and so because there's that difference between like the technical skill and the creative side of things and they improve at different rates it's really challenging for those things to match up as well as an audience matches with it so those things don't happen all at the same time. And so when someone tells me, hey, I have this idea for a video or I have this idea for a channel or I have this idea for a podcast, 100% of the time it's start it. Don't overthink it. Don't overdo it. Basically come up with a name that you're confident with and then just start putting things out there. Yep. Because the number one thing that you have to do in order to get better at it is to create. At the very end of the day, while those different skills are going to improve at different rates, the only way they improve is if you keep doing it. And at a certain point, um, I actually heard this thing from Ira Glass, who's, uh, who's like a podcaster. I think his his big podcast was uh, This American Life, I believe. But he has this thing he calls the Gap. And I I send this like all my friends who have started doing things or work in creative professions and are running into this gap. I send them this this clip, and he's basically describing this this period of time where you are you have good taste and your taste is good enough for you to know <clears throat> excuse me your taste is good enough for you to know that what you're making isn't good but what you're making that isn't good can get better it just takes time but once you hit mm-hmm. that gap once you hit that point in time at which your taste tells you hey man you're not making good stuff you have to be able to push through that until your skill set and your ability to make stuff matches your taste matches your creativity and that is, that's a really important concept that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, and that's all internal. That's the crazy part is like you wake up and you have those thoughts. You go to bed and you have those thoughts. You're creating and you have those thoughts. And you have to be able to push all of that aside. You know, like I've created, um, I've on average, I mean, I don't have the exact number here. Um, but like on average, if I had to guess, I would say I upload something like five videos a week. and that has been the case for three years. It's just been like constantly putting out content, constantly talking about something, constantly putting something out there. And part of that is that I think quantity is rewarded in the market that I'm in. But the other part of it is that it's the only way to improve and build confidence that's earned.
0: Absolutely. Mm You need on air time. You need, you need to face the camera. You need to get better. It's just like, well, it's just like anything is starting a company being an entrepreneur is, uh, is having the guts to make the first move and to start doing something and actually accept that you're gonna suck at it, that you're gonna, I mean, if I look at my coffee company, uh, the first bags we put out, my business partner was like, let's wait until we have perfect branding. And I was like, Nope, we're going to sell bags right now, my man, let's do yeah. it. I, they were absolutely terrible. Not the coffee, not but the, the bags, coffee, the right? branding. Exactly. And, exactly. and people are still with us after five years now. And we accepted to, and I mean, yeah, when you, when you, dive yourself into what you want to do then i mean you create i'm sure you look at the first content you created and you're like oh geez i don't 100 i don't yeah. want to hear myself and and now you're you know you're uh established professional
2: it it is it, it certainly is a process and there's there's a lot of it i still I still struggle with that. I mean, I I won't lie about that. It's not like an every day I wake up and I know exactly what I'm gonna talk about and how I'm gonna talk about it and what it's going to look like. And I'm very pleased with all of my content. That's absolutely not true. I mean, there's a lot of uh there's a lot that isn't meeting up to those standards. Think of it like golf or like a snatch, right? It's like you you nail it, maybe like you really nail it, like like perfect, like five, maybe 10% of the time. And you're like, that's it. I'm chasing that feeling every single time. 80% of the time you're like passable. All right. Like maybe on the low end, not so passable. Maybe on the high end, pretty good. Happy about that. 10% of the time. It's like, I'm the worst. Why did I ever pick up a barbell? Why did I ever pick up a golf club? This is not obviously not for me. And that is, that's common with any sort of endeavor that requires like a complex execution of a lot of moving parts and content creation is really no different from a snatch in that sense. It's that you're going to, you're going to have to chase You're going to have to find what it feels like to succeed and then recreate that as many times as you can as over a long period of time. And that's just the internal side of things, right? The external side of things is like, I have basically been persona non grata at CrossFit my entire time doing any sort of content creation in the space, except for the two years that regionals has gone like those two years, <laughs> it really was like a year and a half. Like that year and a half was the only time I was ever like inside and spoken to, like, I was a part of the community, including since then, like going back to this, like uh semifinals and like the world, uh, the, the continentals and stuff. And before that, I mean before that it was like basically I was blacklisted so I was dealing with not being like welcome in the community and uh not necessarily in the community professionally at CrossFit HQ let's put it that way because the community was nothing but kind to me um and now I'm kind of somewhere in the middle so like there's there's definitely a lot of those external hurdles to deal with to figure out exactly you know where do I stand what is my role what am I trying to do and I think Part of that early process of being very prolific in my on my channel was trying to figure out exactly what role I was going to play in the community. I think I've done uh, I did a really good job early on of clarifying that both for myself and for other people. I have that whole spiel at the end of my episodes. There's a whole lot of things going on in CrossFit. It's easy to miss some of the most interesting, exciting stories. That's what I'm here. That's that's like what I'm here for. You know, I'll see you next time. Basically, like very very clearly explaining like. I'm gonna I'm here to simplify complex topics for you so that you're at least up to date with what's important and why it's important. It's as easy as that. Like if I'm moving the conversation forward, if I'm adding to you talking to your buddy in class, like next time you're warming up and you both like reach into the chalk bucket at the same time, you're like, hey, did you know like X, y, and z is happening and this is why it's happening? I don't even care if you talk about me being the source of that information, but adding to the conversation like brings all the levels up for everybody. And so, I realized that relatively early on in my content creation on YouTube. And I've tried to meet that every step of the way. Like if my content does not meet that, I don't make it. If I'm not, if I'm doing like clickbaity garbage, it's never going to, it's never going to be published. Like I'm not going to do clickbaity garbage because I'm serving a purpose and my content needs to meet that purpose.
0: And do you feel like, do you feel like you had some external slash internal, uh, issues, challenges that came with the type of content that you wanted to do. Like Michelle, you, you you said that you think you didn't do good at creating content, but you're there, you're hosting a podcast, which you're very good at doing. You're, you're very good every single time you create anything with Comp or you someone interviews you, uh, you're very well-spoken, you're very good at drawing um, everything you do. In these uh, you know, these little spheres are very well done, um, which is creating content in itself. If you ask me to host a YouTube channel, I know it's not my jam. I'm gonna suck at it for sure. But if you ask me to be on the floor with athletes with a microphone in my hands, I know I'm gonna fucking rock it. That's what I do. That's my that's my craft. So did you I, I feel like you do a lot of things, but did you feel like there's there were some things that you made you created you were like oh no I don't want to touch that I know that this is not my gem at all
2: absolutely um you know and I think that was part of my like early process of trying to figure it out you know so my first piece like my first pieces of content in the in the space you know 10 years ago or 11 years ago or whatever it is at this point was a blog I was writing I love writing you know I'm a huge fan I love writing I love reading but I haven't really written in like five or six years so i don't put out written content and part of the reason why i don't really put out written content is because i think my voice and my analysis and my um whatchamacallit uh editorialization it functions better through audio and specifically video because it's a face. I'm I'm not hiding behind uh you know what could be an anonymously written article, right? I'm yeah, putting yeah. my face, my name, my you know my city that I live in, my family. I'm putting all of that out there with my opinion. So it's very much skin in the game for like what I am talking about. And when people disagree, they can point directly at me and say I disagree with what you're saying. So there was a lot of kind of playing around and seeing where am I going to excel? What skills do I have to bring to the table? And I I played around with a lot of different styles of content. You know, if you look, go back to like my very, very early videos on YouTube, a lot of it was kind of vlog style stuff. I was doing, uh, you know, reviews on shoes. I was doing uh, taste testing between various paleo pancake mixes. I was doing all these different stuff. And... It was fine. Very,
0: very interesting and important.
2: It it was, yeah, super, super important to know which one is the best. By the way, it's Birch Brothers. Birch Brothers is incredible.
0: I was going to ask. Thank you.
2: Yeah. So, uh, not
1: being sold in Quebec, but hey, you know,
2: Uh, I mean, hopefully, maybe soon, maybe someday, I don't know, but it is amazing. If you do, if you make it out, you should definitely smuggle some back. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I was doing a lot of different types of content. I was doing content like around my own workouts and it 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 took me a little while like a lot of that was stuff that i just had seen other people doing and i knew that it would uh, attract some sort of interest but it wasn't necessarily what i felt was authentic like i didn't and i still don't really want to be a vlogger you know I, I don't i don't really want to i don't want to make content about my life for other people because then i feel like i'm living my life for other people the kind of content that i ended up sort of moving into and and really resonates with the type of person i am is like this editorialization and simplification of news it's here's what's happening and why it's important and what it has like what the other historical factors of it have been and where it might go and and it and that to me is very much adding to the ecosystem of the community it's a really important job and it's something that i can separate from like my wife, my future child, my dogs, my community. I can be a member at a gym, and I don't have to lug my camera around with me everywhere and open those doors. And I can just talk and give my opinion and my analysis and earn it, it takes a little bit of time to like earn people's trust. But after you get it right a few times, I think people started realizing that I wasn't just some guy with a microphone and a camera like on the internet talking. Like I was actually having these conversations with, people involved in the highest levels of decision making processes. And I wasn't wrong about the analyses that I was making. And I think it took me a little while to get there, to earn it, and to find that voice. And I, I do a lot of research on where content creation is going as an industry. And I absolutely challenge myself on a regular basis to try and make new things and almost none of it is ever seen like i make content that never gets published because part of it is like trying out to see okay is this interesting is this valuable where can this be applied what does this mean and so there are things that i have like basically on the back burner in my mind that i'm working on that could really change the way like various types of content are consumed and various relationships between content creators and their communities are like grown and envisioned um or just improvements on existing things but like i don't necessarily have the time or the effort or the the incentives to be able to pull those things off at at really well like really large scales so like I think about them, I I file them away. I try and apply them as much as I can into what I'm doing, whether it's like the stuff on my YouTube channel or like you know, new different products and stuff that I'm trying to figure out. And if it fits better for somebody else, I give it to somebody else. Like I try and provide that information to somebody to be like, hey, you can do this, like this very specifically fits for you in your role in the community and how you can improve it. This is how you should approach this. And sometimes they take it and sometimes they don't, which is totally fine, but you know, it's just part of the process of knowing my work and my industry, you know?
1: And it's, I really like what you said about when you started creating content, um, you just kind of did what other people did. And that's a big part of learning in the art, in the arts. Um, every great painter, um, started by copying classical, uh, shadows, you know, like, uh, uh, that's how Pablo Picasso started he was he copied you know great arts and then he became Pablo Picasso because you know he just weeded out what he didn't feel was important and he made his own way and most artists and actually most people in any form of uh leadership in the, of their own profession have to do that you ha- you can't you can't just kind of like creativity and new stuff doesn't just pop out of nowhere it, the best way to get new ideas is to explore existing ideas and you try and fill out whatever gap you feel is necessary to fill out. So I really like what you said there. I think it, that's a very important point for anyone who is looking to to start something, whatever it is, not be scared of what people consider copying but really what it is if you have the intention of creating your own you're just trying to understand what you like and what you don't like you know absolutely so i have one more question for you um i think this is going to be the last question to be fair i could talk for hours like we're going to like-
0: do a second part of this interview <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for sure
1: so knowing so understanding all of this um, where are you going now? Like you said, that last year has been really crazy, and this coming year is going to be very crazy. You have personal things going on, you have professional things going on, COVID is going on, um, like all kinds of things. So, where are you going with with the baggage that you have now? Where are you going to set it?
2: That's a that's a I like that question a lot. Um, and to kind of tie it back to what you were mentioning earlier, this idea of like copying other creators or whatever that ends up looking like you can use that in any environment right there's two things that come to mind one is the idea that like it's not about reinventing the wheel it's about using the wheel to go to your own place right so yeah, it's you're, and
1: making it better yeah. and
2: making it better you're, you're not going to reinvent it you're just going to it's a tool you're going to use it and you're going to appreciate it and it's going to take you somewhere new And the other side of that is, you know, the saying, uh, no man steps in the river, the same river twice, because it's not the same river and it's not the same man. And the the lesson to take from that is this idea that context is incredibly important. The person you were a year ago is not the person you are now. And the person you are now is not who you're going to be a year from now. And even if it was the entire context within which you exist is very different. And so, you know, there is something to be said about You know, don't be a copycat, but the best in the world are the best in the world, not because they create something completely new out of nothing. It's because they take the best parts of existing things and see connections that other people don't. And so you can bring all these different things together and synthesize things that other people don't necessarily see the connections of. And that's a really beautiful thing as well. And that happens everywhere. I mean, that that happens in CrossFit, that happens in arts, that happens in creativity, that happens in engineering, it happens everywhere. And the idea of like how am i going to take those like overarching philosophical ideas and then the insanity that has been like the last year and then the the craziness that's going to be this coming year and turn it into something new and different for myself is like i spend a lot of time shocking thinking about mm-hmm. what what is going on in the community who's being served what they're being given how they're being taught and uh, a part of that is consuming content from other worlds from whether it's music or video games or sports or whatever. There's a lot of, there's a lot of content creation that's happening in other industries and everybody thinks that they're unique. Everyone thinks that their industry is like a special snowflake and needs its own special little thing. And it's like, that's not hundred percent true. It turns out that there's a reason why you see this, this sort of like very interesting, but repetitive Rolodex of types of creators that go into every different industry and community. And so I do a lot of research based off of what's happening in other industries and what isn't happening in ours. So my big move this year is trying to find, identify, and serve those projects, whether it's myself with partners or just giving those ideas to other people who can execute them and pull them off. My goal is, and I don't think I've actually put this out there very much, but my goal is to not be a slave to the CrossFit games coverage. Like my goal is to, to cover the games this season, the best I can and basically not do it again. Like I want to be able to finally finish being a sort of handcuffed to the CrossFit games. I want to be able to serve the community And maybe part of that is going to be talking about what's happening at the games, but I think that there's so much more that can be done to serve the community that isn't being done. And part of that is going to be, you know, educational aspects of what do new CrossFitters learn when they learn about CrossFit. And I I owned a gym for years and I dealt with people who were brand new novices who knew nothing about it. And I know how to communicate to them about what happens inside of my four walls when I was in my gym. And I also know that that communication is very different from affiliate to affiliate. And I also know that the communication that CrossFit gives is incredibly different from what we gave as trainers. And so there's like this, there's like this black hole of like what happens when someone who's like bit by the bug, like someone like me 10 years ago gets into CrossFit or gets into this type of fitness mm-hmm. and starts trying to learn about it. Where do they go? What do they learn? Who are they listening to? And if the answer is the people that are already out there and the resources they have out there, well, they're not being served very well.
0: It's I, as simple as that. I love I love this goal, and I think that uh, I think that you'll achieve a lot of great things while covering this part of the CrossFit community because no one has done it, and that I think you're all designed for it. Um, Armin, we're gonna do a second part, so it's time to say, well, Armin. Well, Peter, What,
2: I am 100% for you guys. I'm available. Whenever you tell me, I'll show up and I'll talk your ears off.
0: Well, I, I I mean, it it was fascinating listening to you. I mean, even, even though we spent a lot of time together, um, in, in Ireland, in Montreal, uh, and we were supposed to spend a lot of time, too, uh, last season I- in different part of the world. Um, I think that uh, I learned a lot. And I hope that our listeners uh, did, le- did learn a lot, too, about uh, <laughs> such a class act that you are.
2: Merci beaucoup, Greg uh, Lantot and Michel Le Oh, <laughs> oh nice.
1: You. Thank you so much, Armin. It was such a pleasure.
2: My pleasure, guys. See
1: you, see you very soon.
2: Absolutely. See ya.